Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We decided today um, to take a, a kind of deeper dive into the Feast of Passover, some of the historical significance, Jewish customs, and prophetic significance. Um, and in a sense, take a break um, from the news of, uh, of the day, because really we've been listening and hearing about what's going on in the world. But when we listen to God's news, the good news, there's always good news with the Lord. And I believe that in the revelation of this, this specific feast of Passover, that's starting Friday night uh, with the first Seder night, there's going to be great revelation for how we should pray uh, what's going on even in the world, and how the same God that delivered the children of Israel after 400 years of bondage from the spirit of Pharaoh is our God today here in America. Back to you, Jim. Well, it's an important theme, and I, I like the way you introduced it, Mario, from the standpoint, a little break from the news. That's actually healthy for all of us at this point. We're going to be focused on the Passover, and you're going to get to hear you're going to hear some people you don't get to hear before. And that is Mario's going to be teaching. He's exceptional on this. Uh, Rosemary is an exceptional teacher on this topic. She'll be sharing. Uh, Adam Schindler, who'll be praying. Uh, Adam is the man who put together all the technology and ran it. If you remember the first, however many, quite a few months, many, many months. And he's back with us. He's an expert on this as well. I was going to share a little bit on why do we as evangelical Christians care so much about the feast of our Lord in, in, in the Tanakh and the Torah. Uh, I wish we, I wish we never used the words old, old, the old Testament and new Testament in the sense that people separate them so much. They're continuation. They need to be always kept together, but I'm going to, I'm going to give up my time on, on that because we're going to bring in an extra teacher tonight. That's a special new one to us. And that's Janae Eisenstrasse. She's from Canada, a successful businesswoman. If you Google her, you'll see her tremendous accomplishments. A company that's, uh, she owns a company that's international. She's a speaker in demand as a speaker. She has quite a personal story. I don't know whether she'll share any of that or not, but she understands the Seder as one who practiced it uh, and still practices it for, for many, many years and teaches on this subject. So she'll start us off tonight and then we'll go, is Mario, you, are you second? Is that correct? And, yeah. and then Rosemary, you'll wrap it up. Okay, we're so happy to introduce you. Coming to us from Canada, Shanae Eisenstrasse, to begin our evening on understanding the profound significance, importance to all of us, to all of us, not just to some Jews who live in Israel or Jews who live around the world, to every one of us, why this is an important event. Shanae, share with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for having me, by the way, Jim and Rosemary. Um, tonight, I know that we, we kind of uh, put this together on short notice. So I'm really happy to be here and, and to share with all of you. So a little bit about my story. Um, I was raised as a Christian, but I did, in fact, marry um, a Jewish man. Um, and he was a part of an ultra-Orthodox family, as part of an ultra-Orthodox family. So for over 10 years of my life, I lived within the ultra-Orthodox community in um, Toronto, just outside of Toronto, Canada. And so I'm um, quite familiar with the Seder. Um, 
quite familiar with the Passover Seder and happy that um, it's upcoming this weekend. Um, it's a feast that includes reading, drinking wine, telling stories, eating special foods, singing, and other Passover traditions. And so the Seder usually is held at nightfall on the first night of Passover and the second night if you live outside of Israel. And so the anniversary, it, it really is just the anniversary of our, of, um, our nation's miraculous exodus from Egyptian slavery more than 3,000 years ago. And so generally the Passover Seder um, on the menu, we usually set out four cups of wines. There's veggies dipped in salt water, flat dry cracker bread that's called matzah, bitter herbs, horseradish uh, without the additives, romaine lettuce dipped into um, corset, which is like this nuts, apples, pears, and wine. And then there's other many festive, festive things like where some people make... Um, you know, matzo ball soup. Technically, on the Orthodox side, you're not supposed to, but I know in the conservative and reformed traditions, people still do that, and gefilte fish, which is always uh, a pretty common staple. But usually, um, prior to um, getting in preparation for Passover, we usually clear out, out of our house all of the chametz, which is like all the old food. And we prepare the, the counters and all of that stuff. Um, and if you're, depending on what level of Judaism that you're a part of, some people just clear out the chametz, but for the ultra-Orthodox, like it's a whole process um, to, to do this. But needless to say, the Seder night is a really special time for um, a family. And a lot of times, um, people don't realize like the, the Passover Seder, especially the first night, it's a multiple step process. Okay. So for, especially for those of us that are living outside of Israel, it's like 15 steps that are like kind of choreographed. Um, and we call it the Seder or order. And in these 15 steps of the Seder plate, right. Um, we have the Kadesh, we have the Yoshats, which is like the washing of the hands, the Karpas, the appetizers, um, the Yaretz, uh, which is the breaking of the middle matzah, the Magid, which is the telling of the story of Exodus. Um, and then we have wash our hands again. Then we do a, mutz, a mutzi, which is a blessing over the bread, have matzah, eat the more, which is the bitter herbs, the um, korek, um, which is the halal sandwich. So generally you put together like um, matzah sandwich with um, um, which with lettuce and the bitter herbs, it's kind of like together. And then we have the festival meal. Okay. And then we usually leave out a part of the, the matzah. So there's matzah that's put aside for the, the afikomen. And then we have the brachas after the meal. Um, and so, um, and then there's psalms, which is known as, um, so there's tongs, which is tevilim. And then also the nirdsa, which is like, this is accepted and it kind of finalizes the first night seder. Um, so that actually encompasses the, the seder meal and it's a multiple parts, but it's more than just us kind of getting together as family and just eating a meal. It really gives us an opportunity to like reflect and remember on all the wonderful things that God has done for us. And so as we read through the story of the Exodus, you know, the, it's not just, um, the children at the table are actively involved. The adults on the table are actively involved. And one of like our kids, their favorite part is the part where you get to shout out Dainu. It, it should have been enough. Um, a lot of um, 
And a lot of the kids love that part. And then the singing is also fantastic as well. But it's a, a really beautiful festival. And I, I'm so glad, um, Jim and Rosemary, that you're actually taking this out to the world because I think more Christians need to know how Jesus really lived a, a Jewish life no different than Paul and many of the disciples, they were still practicing a lot of these customs even when they were in bondage or slavery under the Roman Empire at the time. We may come back to you for questions. So if you're able to hold, we will thank you for that. You've set the stage well now. Uh, I don't think you, you referenced that you were married to a Jewish man. I don't think you referenced the fact that you discovered that you yourself were. Oh, Jewish. yes, I did. Yes. So I actually, at the end of that marriage, at the end of that marriage, I actually discovered that I, in fact, had Jewish ancestry. And so I was telling both of you today that, you know, in Jewish culture, we call your neshama, which is like your Jewish soul calls you back. And so it wasn't by God had orchestrated everything. It wasn't by coincidence that I met this person along my journey as well. So um, I'm, I'm, I think I'm just so blessed at what I've walked through to kind of experience, uh, um, life through the perspective of Jesus's eyes to know that Jesus Christ is in fact right about what he has shared in the gospels. And as we read through even the other letters that even Paul has written, that also solidifies our stance as to why, you know, um, the Messiah is real. Or if you can hold for more questions when we come towards the end. Mario, we'll go right to you. Thank you, Jeanne, for setting the stage. You're welcome. Um, th there's so much to share, so much revelation, but what I'd like to try to set is try to place yourself in the mindset of the Jewish people at the time of Jesus and even today. What, especially the Orthodox community, what are they thinking? what's going on, how are they celebrating, and how are they processing the current events in light of the Passover Seder. I'm going to first read from this uh, book, which is a commentary, uh, Orthodox commentary on the Haggadah. Uh, the Jewish uh, tradition has a lot of commentaries. They have the Talmud, the Midrash, all kinds of rabbinic sources, some of which have really good revelation, some of which do not uh, in line with what we believe in the New Testament. And I just want to read to you the beginning, because at the beginning of every Seder, the Jewish people start by saying, Behold dor vador hayiv adam lerot et atzmo hu which translates, in every generation, one is obligated to see himself as though he himself had actually gone out of Egypt. It's not just the meal, it's not just the family, it's not just four cups of wine and singing, it's literally going through a process of as if we were in bondage, as if we were in Egypt, and that this night, the night of the Seder, is the night that God is going to deliver us. So I need you to get the, the orthodox context at the time of Jesus and today. Um, the scripture was already referenced out of Luke twenty two fifteen, where it says, with passion, I have earnest, passionately desired, that word is, is found twice in the Greek, to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. This was the night before he was betrayed. So 
Why did he need to celebrate the Passover of all things he could have done on his last day on the earth realm? It was because of the fulfillment of Pesach. And we believe, number one, this is not just the Feast of the Jews, it's the Feast of the Lord, that we're entering into a season of Passover and there is a prophetic significance. It's called one of the Moeds. It's one of the Shalosh Regalim, the three, um, it's feet. There were the three holidays, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, that the Jewish people would go up to Jerusalem to worship. It's one of the three most holy days in the Jewish calendar. And uh, this, this commentary says this, the Torah calls these sacred days Moadim, days of encounter with God. Each of our holy days carries a divine message based on its historical significance. The Pesach conveys the message of our liberation from Egypt. First and foremost in this yearly cycle is Pesach, the season of our freedom. Uh, the Rabbi Bersker said that Nisan, this is the month of Nisan, which is the month of the double miracles, did not become the season of freedom because of the events that Passover fell, but these events happened in Nisan because God divinely timed Passover to be in this month, the month of miracles. This phenomenon extends beyond the spiritual. During, we undergo renewal. It's a season of renewal. It's a new thing that God wants to birth in our lives during this season it's the wellspring of the freedom from slavery. It's a freedom to serve God that opened long ago in Egypt that runs through every month of Nisan. The history of Jewish bondage and redemption in Egypt is very much a part of our living national existence. Our sages say that where we're galut or in exile, in the, it's the history of Egyptian bondage that will come down to the ultimate liberation when Mashiach comes. The whole concept of Messiah in the Jewish mindset today and at the time of Jesus was that maybe Mashiach will come on Passover. As a matter of fact, they have a cup for Elijah, the prophet, and, and, and they set a seat for him. And at the end of the Seder, they open the door and they sing a song to the prophet Elijah that he should come in. Why? Because the prophet Elijah... John came and the spirit of Elijah was going to come and usher the way of the Lord. So when the Jewish people are sitting right now, uh, uh, this coming Friday in their Seder tables, when they see the rising of Pharaoh spirits from America, and not only that our current administration is, is anti-Israel, it is pro-Iranian, not knowing what's going on. Several Jewish people lost their lives. They opened the door to Elijah with the prayer and the thought, what if this year Mashiach will come? And I want to just share a little bit, and it's very hard for me not to get political, so please excuse me. <laughs> There were Orthodox rabbis that took the name of Donald Trump. Each name in Hebrew has a, a new numerology. And the number of Donald Trump is the same as Mashiach ben David or Messiah, the son of David, one of the Messiah figures. To some Orthodox Jews, President Trump and the move of the embassy and all that he did were wondering if he's a type of John the Baptist preparing the way of the Lord. The Orthodox Jews today with, with, with this intensity and passion in worship, the men worship with the men, the women with the women, cry out, we want Mashiach, 
We want Mashiach now. I had a rabbi in one of our services. We were celebrating Sukkot and, and, and I just laid it out. There were some Jewish people there. I said, you know, we're waiting, we're waiting for the Mashiach to come back. And the Orthodox and the Jews are waiting for Mashiach to come the first time. We're both crying out, Maranatha, can we together with the Jewish people just cry out, Mashiach, come, Messiah, come. They're feeling the birth pangs of Messiah even now. This is a time of an open heavens. It's a time where the spirit of God wants to move over your lives in a supernatural way. We need generational deliverance in one day after 400 years of generational curses through the blood of the lamb that was placed on the doorpost of the homes. The angel of death passed over and an entire nation was delivered. Can a nation be delivered in a day? We are crying out for deliverance of our nation our entire nation. The blood of the lamb is sufficient. We overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony and not loving our lives even unto death. Pharaoh is rising. Our freedoms are at risk. The children of Israel, Moses said, let my people go that they may worship God. And at a certain point in the beginning, Pharaoh said, go ahead, Moses, you go, the men go, but leave the children behind. Well, that spirit of Pharaoh, we've been praying for the prodigals to come home, has kind of even lied to some of us. It's okay, you guys serve God, but let the children, don't let the children go. We're crying out, Father, let our children, let the prodigals go, that there would be a restoration. Because there was one lamb per household, all the children and the family would come in before that night of deliverance. The ninth plague, the plagues came against the gods of Egypt. We have gods in America and there is judgment in America. We're crying out, Father, in the midst of judgment, give us a grace period. We cry out for mercy. But that darkness was tangible. You can touch it. It wasn't just the light. Rashi, uh, rabbinic scholars say that it was so dark that no physical light was able to come in. But amongst the children of Israel in Goshen, there was a supernatural protection in the midst of the plagues. And I decree and declare we're entering into a potential time of famine, potential shakings. But the blood of the lamb upon our homes so that the plagues will pass over our houses. But it was one lamb for family. It is God's will. Us in our household shall be saved. And then the 10th plague uh, came, which was the plague of the death of the firstborn. You could just imagine that night, the screeching of the mothers, the crying out in the neighbor's home, but yet not one of the firstborns of the children of Israel were touched. During this time, we're entering into difficult times in America. Our president has said it, Klaus Schwab, the head of World Economic uh, uh, Forum said, uh, food shortages, et cetera, it's time to prepare prepare for our Passover, prepare for the restoration, number one, spiritually. And I'll end with this. The Lord gave us a word in our, uh, gave me a word for our local church about a month ago. And the Lord said, Mario, I want you to prepare an ark for New Wine Ministry for our church. I want you to just prepare spiritually and I want you to prepare naturally. Preparing naturally, we're encouraging our people to prepare for economic shakings. 
Uh, we told each our, of our people to begin to, to buy things, to prepare. We had a preparedness uh, uh, workshop. During COVID, we had a lot of workshops for our people so that we can speak the truth uh, uh, to what, uh, with what was going on with vaccines and, and the different uh, therapeutics and the Lord and to prepare them spiritually. The most important thing right now we need to prepare spiritually like the children of Israel that huddled in their home that last plague in preparation for the deliverance of a nation. They would prepare the meal and it was a matzah because they had to prepare in haste and they would place the blood on the lamb and in a similar way was Noah and the ark. In Matthew 24, 37, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days, in the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered in the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the day of the Son of Man be. We need to prepare this, this, this Passover Seder. We need to prepare spiritually for what is up ahead. I'm not talking eschatology right now. I'm talking about this season that we are facing. And Noah, his name means rest. In the midst of all that's happening, God wants us to find a place in the spirit of God of rest. And it says, and Noah found grace and favor in the eyes, <laughs> grace in the eyes of God. And as he prepared a place, we need to prepare in the spirit for us and our home. And it says that they, um, the ark was filled with pitch. And in the Hebrew, that's kippur. It's the same thing. It's the atonement. It's the blood that will cover us during this time. As we pray for our families, as God brings them in. And most importantly, to stay in a place of God's glory. In Exodus 14, 13, when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, Moses told the children of Israel, they were, they were delivered. And then God hardened Pharaoh's heart again. It was God that hardened Pharaoh's heart. The, hand, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. Sometimes we don't understand why rulers are doing what they're doing. But God is more concerned for souls and the advancement of his kingdom than our comfort or even what kind of government we would like. Uh, we pray and we fight and we war and believe that there's still chance for America, but God's more concerned with the advancement of his kingdom. But the children of Israel were between the Egyptians and the Red Sea, and they were crying out to God that it would have been better in Egypt. And Moses got up and said, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, the word in the Hebrew salvation is Yeshua, which is Jesus's Hebrew name, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. In the midst of everything that's happening, I decree and declare that this is an open heavens over our lives and that God is on his throne, that his kingdom always advances. We go from faith to faith from glory to glory, that no matter what happens on the earth realm, there is a supernatural protection for the children of God with the blood of the lamb. And a thousand may fall on our side, 10,000 on our right, but it shall not come upon us. Mm -hmm. That we're in a time of the birth pangs of Messiah. The Orthodox Jews know it. Um, the heathen probably know there's something up. And God is raising a standard in his church and this will be the church's final, finest hour. 
stand still and see the salvation, the Yeshua of the Lord that he will accomplish in our midst. And I decree and declare with all the Pharaoh spirits and our battle is not against government leaders, but against powers and principalities. And Jesus on the throne in that day, as he celebrated the Passover, went to the cross, died and was raised from the dead. It, both holidays coincide where the second day of Passover is Resurrection Sunday. They, Satan thought that he finished with the Son of Man, but the earth couldn't hold him down. On the third day, there was an earthquake and he rose from the dead. This is a time that we're going to see a resurrection power in the church like we've never seen before. It's a time we're going to see signs, wonders, and miracles, and even literal resurrection from the dead. When you see these things come upon the earth, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. Stand still and see the Yeshua of the Lord. Back to you, Jim. Well, thank you, Mario. We're going to come back to you with some questions in a moment asking Adam Schindler to help in the Q&A time and sharing some commentary. Rosemary, let's go to you next. Okay. Well, like Mario, the Lord also called me to help build and prepare an ark for, for his people. And um, so in that way, he asked me to call our organization Schindler's Ark. And so both in the spiritual and the natural, we are in the most significant Passover, probably uh, since the original one that took place thousands of years ago, because we are in a Shemitah year and then beginning a Jubilee year, this Rosh Hashanah. But this Passover is a unique time for covenant making, for us choosing to walk in divine um, relationship with our beloved Yeshua, our heavenly bridegroom, and to be called at his, as his bride. And I want to share something that, that I learned in stu studying Hebrew roots about the blood covenant threshold and what a significant difference it makes when we realize the importance of the Passover. It wasn't a passing by. It was uh, um, the Passover was a passing into covenant relationship with almighty God. And uh, the Lord commanded his people to take the blood of a lamb and to prepare it and to bring it into the household for four days so that they would be joined in relationship with it. And then to sacrifice that lamb's blood and to place it over the doorpost, um, the doorpost, the, uh, the lintel and at the threshold. This wasn't an unusual thing to them at all, because being in Eastern culture and to this day, everyone understood that a covenant making ceremony was about to take place. And it was very important that it involved uh, risking their very life because it was a lifelong commitment to what was about to happen for they and their households. And so what I have a picture here, maybe can show you. This shows you a door, could have been similar to the door uh, of the Hebrew time, but you see there the blood um, acro across the top. And as they took the, they had a bowl of the lamb's blood on the, on the threshold, and they took a hyssop and they actually made the sign of the cross 
as they applied the blood across the right to the left, up and down both sides. And then, and, and there was a bowl of blood right here at the threshold at the doorway. And in, in ancient Middle East custom, this is how you welcomed a guest. If you were having someone that you expected to arrive to enter your home, you would sacrifice an animal and place its blood on the doorway so that as your guests arrived, they would see the blood on the door and know that a feast was being prepared for them and that they were being welcomed. And that guest, as they entered the household, needed to uh, cross over the threshold where the basin of blood was held right here and in no way step upon it. If they stepped upon it, that was a sign that I am here as an enemy. I am here for evil and not for your good. I'm here to destroy you. But if, if that guest crossed over and entered the home, they were saying that I am here to become one with you. And from this point on, we will be as family. I will be your defender and you will be mine. And it was up to the host of that home to defend that guest, even with their very life, even if they had been prior a stranger. And this gives a lot of explanation to us when we read about what, why Lot was, um, was so distressed when the strangers demanded that he turn over the angelic guests in his home. And it also gives explanation to many other Bible stories as we study it and the significance of why um, God walked with his people a certain way and showed them what he did. So I want to go from the point of what we call the Passover to give an, another uh, in-depth insight to what's really taking place at this meal. Um, God was not merely sparing his people when he visited them with judgment by the angel of death, he was coming to marry them. He was coming to make covenant with them through the blood of the lamb that covered the doorposts of their homes. And from that time on, or, or later on, Jews would um, put mezuzahs on their doorposts. They would put um, a box containing the Hebrew blessing with the letter Shin for El Shaddai over their doorposts, reminding them that they were they are in covenant with Almighty God. We have them over the doorposts of our home. You, they, they're over every gate in the city of Jerusalem, and they're um, over every Jewish home as well to this day. And to this day, Jewish men they'll wrap uh, tefillin. Um, they'll place the word of God on their forehead. Uh, so, signifying um, the um, lintel and around their arms for the doorposts and then um, and then uh, and they pray on their heart the threshold to their to their spirit to their self remembering the blood covenant that they have with messiah almighty and so i just want to read a portion of a book there's a really um wonderful um historian, biblical historian named Clay Trumbull, and he wrote on the threshold covenant. And he was popular in the late 1800s, when the time when Zionism began to 
um, rise up in the world among Jews and Christians and the hope that Israel would once again become the land for the Jewish people. Many, um, he, the Hebrew roots movement actually started way over 120 years ago. And um, authors like this did much research among Middle Eastern customs to give us the understanding of what the Passover meant to the people of, of uh, biblical times. And it says, God covenanted anew with his people uh, by passing over or crossing over the blood-stained threshold into their homes, while his messenger of death went into the houses of the Lord's enemies and claimed the firstborn as belonging to Jehovah. It says, um, the door and the side posts, God says, are my witnesses in Egypt. In the hour when I passed over the lintel and the two side posts, and I said that to me, the children of Israel shall be mine and not slaves to slaves. I brought them out from bondage to freedom. And, and, and Moses who goes forth to, to take them um, shall be his, his leader. And it says, according to Jewish traditions, it was on a Passover night when Jehovah entered into a crossover covenant with Abraham on the boundary of his new possession in Canaan. That's when the, the Lord visited Abraham Abraham, and he um, offered up the animals uh, cut in two and walked through the parts with God's help. With God's help, he God was making a blood covenant between Abraham and the land of Israel. And um, the same when Joshua crossed the Jordan, the men were circumcised before they had to cross over the threshold of the Jordan River into the promised land. So this very location is the crossover point into the Holy Land. This is where our shofar sounder, Robert Winger, God has sent him all the way from Los Angeles to make Aliyah to live there near Jericho once again in preparation for Messiah's return, who will come from the east back to the Mount of Olives, which is the threshold the blood covenant threshold into the city of Jerusalem where Messiah will come and reign as King and Kings and Lord of Lords. This is why the enemy covets East Jerusalem. This is why we cannot allow Jerusalem ever to be divided or the biblical heartland and why Israel's sovereignty is so important and necessary in preparation for the Lord's return and why judgment will fall upon all nations who attempt to divide that land of the Lord because God himself sent, provided his own blood, the blood of the lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf in this very location, the, the blood covenant threshold of Jerusalem and why Jesus says that he is the door. Um, in, I've been to homes in Israel, in Samaria where Families have been murdered at Passover or, or Shabbat or some other time when they assembled by, by uh, Muslim terrorists. And we noticed in visiting the home, these terrorists would never come in through the front door. 
they always came in the back door. They always came into the window. They snuck in some other way because they had enough fear of God, of, of the God of the Jews to realize if they entered at the front door of the Jews with the bazoos on the door, they were not only going to contend with those people, they were going to contend with the God of those people. And so it's interesting how we need to have biblical understanding, even in our own prayers and spiritual warfare, these principles are, are still in operation today. But Jesus himself said, he that enters not by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs in some other way, the same as the thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He said, I am the door. He is the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. And, and he says, I, he shall be saved and go out and, and go in and shall find pasture. A thief comes not, but that he may kill and steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The blood of Jesus is the threshold blood of our covenant with him, which means that when we partake of the Passover, we are, God is declaring himself to be our covenant defender, that all his power, his might, his authority, his ability will come to our rescue to save us. And um, we too are in covenant with him as devoted followers of the Lord. And this being the most significant, special, honorable night, it is our wedding rehearsal feast for the coming of our great King. So let us prepare this, this coming week. Passover begins Friday evening and for the following week. And if you can at any, any possible way, find a Seder in your area, look up the local Messianic congregation, uh, even uh, we would go to the local um, synagogues and always we were welcome to come and participate in their community Seder and just step right into this amazing um, biblical gift that God has provided for our for our salvation. It's never been a more significant time. And um, one, other, one other thing, according to end times, there's a lot of, um, in the book of Revelation says not to receive the mark of the, of the beast, of the Antichrist, but to receive the mark of the Lord, that the angel of the Lord would go and mark those who belong to him. This comes and is related to the entire uh, Passover um, um, season and ceremony. We are being marked with the mark of God, which will be a protection from us from for the mark of the beast in in these days. So I just encourage you all. I thank you for uh, listening to um, instruction and insight about this special time from where we get our Holy Communion and to find even more significance as you research and study for yourself. Thank you. Going to go in a moment to uh, have Adam Schindler uh, give some color commentary, ask some questions, whatever he chooses to do. I just I just want to back up and take a, a view from thirty five thousand feet, a little story. 
I was sitting in Jerusalem on a bus with a group of pastors. They were pastors of mainly mega church pastors and high visibility people. When I heard three rows in front of me, one pastor say to another, I don't know what's going on with the people in my church. They're all trying to act like Jews. Well, I was quite taken back by it. Um, I knew exactly what he was talking about, people observing uh, the Feast of Our Lord. And so I attempted to explain to him a little bit of what is happening. How do you explain the phenomenon that's occurring, particularly the last 10 to 15 years, globally, people over the entire globe in virtually every nation being inexplicably drawn to understanding the Hebrew roots, the Jewish roots to our faith? If you go to Israel during the Feast of Tabernacles in October, you'll see people gathered from every nation of the earth by the thousands. It's, it's astounding to watch. They're Christians, evangelicals from every country and who, are, who are, are, are celebrating the Feast of the Lord. The Jewish people came out on the streets to welcome us as we do in this march. Thousands and thousands and thousands. I tried to see where the, where the front of the line was. I couldn't even see in this, this tabernacle celebration. It's stunning. And, and all the, the, the Christians, they're bringing candy and throwing them to the, to the, the Jewish children. The Jewish children are loving it. Uh, we, were, we were affirmed and accoladed. The people clapping and cheering for us as we, thousands and thousands and thousands marched through the streets celebrating this day. What is happening? Why is that? It's because these are not simply Jewish feasts from a long time ago that are in an old book. These are feasts of our Lord. Mario used that phrase, I think, when he started. They're feasts of our Lord. If Jesus participated in these, maybe it's good for us to. Why are they important? Very simple. They provide a timeline. Now, you have a time, look at, the, look at the Feast of Our Lord. This is old news to some of you, so I apologize for being repetitious. They provide a, an unbelievable timeline uh, of our Lord. And they walk through what has happened and what is yet to happen. So what has what Yeshua fulfilled so far? Which of well, his name seven feasts has he fulfilled <laughs> in he's, his first coming? He's, 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 the first ones have been fulfilled. The last, I see, four the last, the last three, three three are yet to be fulfilled. That's the fun of the teaching on this. You can say, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Now we're waiting for this, this, and this. So it provides that chronology uh, to all of us. I want you to get the importance of why it is that the Holy Spirit is stirring a unique phenomenon over the entire globe. When God speaks, he doesn't just speak to one person. He can speak to one person, sometimes individual message. But when God releases a word, he can release it to the globe and people hear it and resonate and begin to take it up. I don't say this to make us legalist on this. And we're certainly not Judaizers by doing that. We are people walking in the freedom and joy of Yeshua with great expectation of his, his, his coming. We don't want to miss the appointment. <laughs> exactly. Very important. Now, Adam, I want to run to you right now. I know you can't stay on real long. So I'm going to be sensitive Adam, to another expert. commitment. Yeah, Adam. Adam Schindler is an expert on this and, and lecture. Boy, you want to go listen to his teaching. It's phenomenal online. Adam, what color commentary do you want to add or questions you want to probe? Well, thank you. I, I have a couple of little comments and a question. Um, but if, if you want to join a Seder meal, I'm doing a virtual Seder again this year at my church uh, just south of Atlanta. I'm doing that tomorrow night. I have everything on my website, adamschindler.com. 
I've got a Haggadah, I've got a Haroset recipe, I've got table place settings. If you want to join us, you can watch or you can host a little group in your house. Um, we've got about 200 people in our church that are going to do it remotely. So if you want to join a virtual Seder, we're doing that tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Eastern, adamshindler.com. You can go and get the info there. But um, there's the thing, Rosemary, that you were saying, talking about cutting covenant and like that stuff is so important because it's not history, it's our authority in prayer, right? We're not just making up this with our right-wing nationalism, right? These are covenant promises of God, right? And we're moving into this time, this, this, these cycles of the Lord, these rhythms of the Father's heart, and we're not just stirring up the ancient history, right? There's a difference between history and memory, right? These are the things that happened to us, um, and when we understand the covenant, we understand our authority in Christ to be able to pray and to move. And ultimately, this is about what Mario said. You know, Pharaoh, you know, he kept saying to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can establish the nation and colonize the Middle East. No, let my people go so that they can worship me here at this mountain. Right. That's what this whole Exodus thing is about. It's about worship. Okay, and when when there's this showdown that Pharaoh and Moses have repeatedly through the plagues and Mario made reference to it, it's plague eight, um, right after the hail, right before the locust, when when Pharaoh says you can go but leave your kids, right, and Moses is like we're not giving you our generations, right, and then that plague comes, the next thing Pharaoh's like, all right, fine, your kids can go but leave your livestock, and this is the last showdown, why the livestock? Well, Moses says. We're going to go and worship God, and we don't know what he's going to require of us. If you take our livestock, you take our worship offerings, right? And God is just going to establish. He just established the covenantal system with animal sacrifice in a significant way, and he was going to do that at Sinai. What's the point? Pharaoh wants your worship, right? This is all about worship, okay? And the preparation time. Mario talked about it and we feel it, right? We feel the darkness and it's, we thought, you know, COVID would come and then go and the darkness would recede. Well, it's a different kind of darkness. Uh, it's not receding, it's growing, right? And so how do we prepare? Well, I believe what Mario said is right. The most important preparation is spiritual. And when, when Moses led the people out, there's this moment here. I'm going to make one comment and then ask the question. Um, in Exodus 12, verse 40, it says this, the time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. That's not a great translation. I'll spare you my history on that. Um, at the end of 430 years, on the very day, the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Verse 42, Exodus 12, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all people of Israel throughout their generations. The night of watching, it's Lael Shimurim, right? Shimurim means vigil, to guard, all right? To hold guard. It is what Jesus did when he left the Seder meal and he went into the Gethsemane, the olive press to pray. He told his disciples, stay awake and keep vigil. Watch, be on your guard, right? And what the disciples do? Well, they were sleeping. Why does that matter? If they'd have been awake, would the Romans not have come and captured Jesus? No, this is about worship. Church of Jesus, if you're sleeping, 
in the middle of the deliverance, your heart isn't going to be prepared both to see the miraculous and to see the threats that the enemy's coming. It's critical in this hour if we're to keep our hearts pure and available for worship before the Lord, that we are on our guard, that we stand watch in the night hours. The darkness is encroaching. God's people are called to guard that, to keep your heart alert, to keep your spirits alert, and to make sure that the enemy doesn't get your worship. Because if he can set you free, but steal your worship, then he's won, right? And my question is this, Mario and Jim and Rosemary, it comes from Psalms 137, verse 4. And this is a real question for me, because I've struggled with this. Psalm 137, verse 4. How do we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Right? How do we keep our hearts available for intimacy and connection and, and genuine worship for the Lord, when we recognize that we are in a deliverance moment, we don't see the outcomes, we know the promises, but how do we sing the song of the Lord in a foreign land? Is there any fatherly, pastoral, help us help us know how to protect our hearts in worship advice you guys have? Hey, Mario, you wanna to respond to me first? Yeah, my first thought, and even before you pose the question, we need to, worship God for him, period. I don't know how this deliverance is going to look, but I know that God is good. I know that he's faithful. I know that he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. I know that there's something special out of this deliverance. Even if I don't know when, I don't know how, I don't know. I don't know if we're having fair elections on November 22nd, but I can tell you God is good. He is on his throne. I don't believe he's through with America. Wherever, however, and whenever he brings the deliverance, that cannot affect my relationship with him, and we need to go higher. In, in my study, we, we taught on, on, on the Ark of the Covenant. Um, the word Ark is uh, Aaron. It's the same Ark that delivered Moses. It's the basket, Aaron. It's the same Ark of the Covenant. Our Ark is really his presence and his glory. And I always go back to Heidi Baker years ago. What she went through in Mozambique with floods, with cholera, with people dying of disease, with Muslim terrorists killing her orphans. She said the only way she was able to sustain herself was with hours in the glory. Before anything else, we need to find that place in him and trust him no matter what the outcome, no matter what happens to America, no matter when deliverance comes, deliverance will come. As Mordecai told Esther, deliverance will come from another source because our God is faithful. I don't know what that looks. I don't know what deliverance looks like for America. I don't know what deliverance looks like for my family, but I know God is faithful. He's on the throne and he is worthy to be praised. Mario, I think um, just like the people of Israel, they were tested in the wilderness. We too are going to be <clears throat> tested. Are we going to murmur and complain? Are we going to doubt and lack faith? Are we going to build the house of God, like you said, to build that worship time with the Lord, prepare the tabernacle in our own heart day by day and, and continually build it faithfully, giving everything? 
that we have um, toward our relationship with the Lord, seeking him and not follow into the similar traps. Even Moses himself was not able to cross over to the land because he struck the, the rock rather than speak to it. And there it, it um, dishonored God in the sight of all the people. So the test will be tested and tested and tested through this time. And to, we can glean a lot from what happened to the, the Hebrews in the wilderness. I believe it'll be a similar testing time to we too get through. I, my, my answer is not going to be <clears throat> impressive at all. It's biographical, autobiographical. And that is that when you watch, I was, I was raised in a godly home. When you watch your parents go through the hard, hard times or special loved ones or friends, and you watch them in resolve, they will not give up on God, no matter what happens. <clears throat> Those are the experiences that rivet in my mind and hold me. I'll share just two very briefly, but they have impacted me so much. And every person who's listening could give your own stories like this. So I don't have a monopoly on this. This is simply where God used it to rivet me. My brother was killed in a plane crash. My sister and, and my mother are on this call right now. So we all remember the day unbelievably well. <clears throat> and after we got back home from the shock of, of Bob being killed, and my first cousin was also killed, and Bob's roommate, college roommate. When we <clears throat> got home, a phone call came from a man named Harv Smucker of Abbeville, Kansas. He's a cowboy. We were farmers. He called my dad and said, you probably wondered where God was when that plane was going down. Dad said, yeah. It crossed my mind. He said, I'll tell you where he was. He was on the throne, the exact same place when his son died. I don't know why, but that brought healing to me. That brought so much hope, so much help. I've gone back and revisited that moment tens of thousands of times. A second one was the night, you, you all aware that Rosemary, I've been married eight years. My first wife died of cancer. When the diagnosis came June the 19th of 2007, I came home, I thought, man, what am I in for? And I said, okay, one thing, I'm gonna resolve God. I will not follow Job's wife's advice and curse you and die. I will not do that. And honestly, in the next six years of, of struggle and then finding her death, never once was I ever even tempted to blame God. I knew where the problem was. Each one of us have to have those moments in our life. Those are my two, but they rivet to those. And that's what takes you out. How, how can we worship you? We're hanging our, 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 our worship instruments on the willows, the weeping willows. We, we're, we're stuck in Babylon. The promise is gone. And you have to simply say, you know, and no matter what, God is most present when he feels most absent. And once you can get that in your heart, then you can literally endure anything, even to the point of death. Amen. Well, that... That is a big piece of the time that we're in. And as Protestants, I was raised and we didn't really, we didn't really look at the suffering of Jesus. You know, we liked the victory, but we didn't like Good Friday. You know, and our Catholic brothers and sisters, you know, are, pay attention to the suffering of Jesus on the cross. You know, and this is a time where we have to confront the reality of death, the bodily death, right? And and there's no resurrection without death. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? So how do we, we confront that, right? And this is the thing that you're talking about, Jim. And 
And this is, this, is the, this is the Passover with the hope of Yeshua, right? Because ultimately the, the psalmist says, I'm in a foreign land, but Jesus is our promise, right? And we're the tabernacle. And so this, this reality emerges as we confront death and look at this stuff and whatever your perspective is about the encroaching darkness in the earth. We're never in a foreign land if Holy Spirit's in us. Right. And so it's sort of like a moot point. I was thinking about it after I asked the question, like, well, when, when am I in a foreign land? If I'm the tabernacle of the glory of God, when am I in a foreign land? You know, and I've got to jump off. But if you guys would be all right, can I just pray into this real quickly? Yeah. That'd be all right. King Jesus, we recognize that you are on your throne and you have always been on your throne. Father, and that you have walked the blood path, you've made the covenant, you've cut that reality down into hell and Hades and up into the third heavens, Father, and we receive the covenant liberation through just Jesus the Messiah. And Father, tonight we ask in Jesus' name that you would, that you would drench us in, in not, not a faith that we have to work for, but a reality of your presence, Father, that we don't have to strive for, that we just experience and recognize the presence of God, that there is no foreign land because the king of the universe resides in us, with us, and moves into the world through us. So, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for everyone listening on this call that they would receive a touch, a baptism of the love of the Father tonight from which we would never recover. Father, and that we would never live in a foreign land because we take the ark with us. We're the ark. We're the presence of God in the earth because he's inside of us. We just pray for strength, for courage, for hope, for natural wisdom and insight on how to prepare your homes and your bodies and your families. But a hope of heaven, God, we pray a release of a hope of heaven that would penetrate into our souls. Father, it would, it would divide soul and spirit, join in marrow, and it would saturate us, God, with the truth of the eternal life that's available now in Jesus. If eternity's real, then we're already in it. So, Father, we thank you, God, that there will come a crossing over when we step into the age to come. But right now, Father, we're living in your presence, and we just bless you, Jesus. I just honor you. I love you. I love you, Father. Thank you for your kindness, your goodness, your presence with us tonight on this call. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. And Adam, would you say your um, website again for your Seder? For yes, it's Adam, adamschindler.com. If you Google my name, if you can remember it, if you forget .com and you remember Adam Schindler, then I'm not the MMA fighter or the C-tier movie producer. I'm the other guy. Adam, He's not my son, but I wish he was. <laughs> Adam, that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for your comments. And that question was so profound. We so appreciate you. We love you. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you. It was wonderful to be with you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.